Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, we're recording this in mid-September, and... Yes. Um, this is, I guess it's kind of a special episode because the queen is dead. Yes. Long live the queen, I guess. Do we say well, that? king. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you I know, know, the That's great cycle. a gender switch. <laughs> yeah. The great yes. cycle of rebirth where we sacrifice the monarch to bring a fruitful harvest. Prosperity. And prosperity. Yes. And then the monarch is reborn in the spring. Except um, the opposite is going to happen. Yes. Because it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> Because she was the only yes. one holding it together. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is actually really interesting. We might as well start here. So we're doing a special episode, yeah, on Queens, the monarch and not the New York borough. <laughs> yes. Also, not the band. Right. And also not queen the would be, that would be. drag race type of person. Like regular right. queens who don't wear false eyelashes. Yes. Well, they probably do, actually. Um, probably all queens do, but, um, but yes. I feel like there's false eyelashes and then there's false eyelashes. Like... That's fair. That's fair. The funny thing here, I guess, is that, <laughs> I mean, whenever I say, we're American, right? So whenever I say queens, the first thing I think of actually with a capital Q is the borough and the second thing, yeah, queens, drag queens, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we have. Um, Americans do not have a monarch, on purpose. Famously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it is really interesting because we are talking about specifically the English queen who died, Elizabeth II, and we were once upon a time part of the British Empire. That is the monarchy that we separated from. And right now there's a bunch of countries in the Caribbean and around the world part of the commonwealth not all the countries who are part of the commonwealth um interestingly actually not all countries that are part of the commonwealth were actually even part of the british empire (laughs) some of them joined for trade it's not an official kind of trade agreement but they do there's some stuff Hmm. anyway so but obviously the commonwealth is mostly countries that were part of the british empire but only i think at this point about 15. So an ever, sh- an ever shrinking number. <laughs> and wow. An ever, right. Uh, so a number that is con- continually getting smaller. Um, yeah, I mean, um, God, I'm trying to look it up. There's 56 member states in the Commonwealth of Nations. Yes, but like I said, only about 15 that still have the Queen as... As well, their head of state. Now the King. Yes, yeah. the Monarch of England. Or Great Britain right. as their head of state. And of course, it is the monarch of England. So it's the UK, United Kingdom, yeah. is the entire thing with Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. Great Britain is the island that also includes Scotland and Wales. Yes. But we are talking, the monarchy is, is the English monarchy, specifically yes. very English. <laughs> yes. So Charles gets to be king of 15 of them. Yes. Of whatever, 56, which are... <clears throat> we might as well say for the record, Antigua yes. and Bar- Barbuda, Australia, the Bahamas, Belize, Canada, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, 
uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Solomon Islands, Tuvalu, and the United Kingdom. Yes. So, do they not have the clearly, Falkland Islands anymore? Do they not get separated oh out? Okay, that's a never mind. Thing. We'll talk about um, that some other time. <laughs> yes, that's not medieval history, but that's, no. that's history, all right. Um, I mean, only some of this is medieval history, but some of it is definitely. Well, this is like history. the dividing line, right? Like, colonialism is like globalization. Yes. So that is what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so colonialism yeah. really gets kicked off. Not that people weren't dicks to each other before, you know, that dividing line, and not that people didn't like conquer each other. But the Middle Ages ending and globalization beginning is sort of like where the we draw the line, right? So. Yeah. So um, yeah the the Falklands are a British overseas territory um okay so there we go uh, argentina maintains a claim <laughs> da, 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 da. there have been a lot of famous terrible things related to this fact oh maggie okay <laughs> um yeah but yeah so that but that idea right so there are the british territories which are the sort of remnants of the british empire um most of them are completely self-governing, but a bunch of them still consider the monarch right. as their head of state, although not necessarily in any real capacity, but nonetheless, right? It matters, right? The queen can be on your money and stuff like that. Um, you have a queen. I mean... Yeah. So um, the Caymans are the apparently the most populous British overseas territory, it says here. Anyway, but um, but yeah, I think the monarch is officially the head of state of the Falklands, um, and all these others, right? There's, did you mention Gibraltar? Anyway, there's all these other sort of things. Oh yeah, Gibraltar. Okay, so there's a really good video on what the different pieces of um, the British Empire are, and uh, it's by a guy named CGP Gray, and we'll link to it in the comments just in case oh, yeah, yeah. you are curious. Right. About yes. all of these different delineations, um, which probably don't make that much difference to you unless you are a British citizen trying to go to one of them. Right. And right. find out what your privileges are. So Yes, because you might have wondered, like, Turks and Caicos. So anyway, there are all these. There, there are a lot of them. Um, so, so anyway, <laughs> there is this um, weird sensibility um, of the... The things that remain that still have this head of state. Um, and he rattled off a few, like Canada, New Zealand. Yeah, big right? ones. Um, Australia. Yeah, Australia. That really still have a head of state in this way because they, they just don't, like, it makes no difference to them. And they just don't care. It's <laughs> tradition. That's not quite true. They don't care. But yes, it's tradition. It makes no real difference to them. There's no clear reason why they should necessarily fully separate. That being said, um, of course, some places have fully separated, mm -hmm. famously. And um, the, I think, assumption at this point <laughs> is that um, probably what's going to happen is that the queen really was holding all of this together, right? So Barbados 
um, is is replacing or has now replaced. I don't know if it's official, official, but they definitely announced already a couple years ago, right? They're ditching at that time, of course, the queen as the head of state. Um, and there's a kind of assumption that a lot of countries are going to follow now, right? Mm. That she really was the one holding it all together because of who she was. Um, and that Charles does not inspire that sense of loyalty. Um, certainly not that sense of loyalty, <laughs> but also not that sense of unity. Right. That she, that she inspired. Um, and apparently she had what any great politician needs, which is that in person, and this is people who, you know, um, are very against the British Empire, who live in some of the countries we mentioned that were colonized by the British. Mm -hmm. All of these countries, obviously, that weren't England were colonized by the British. That's how they end up part of the empire. Um, and so people in those countries who are very against all of that, but that nonetheless may have met the queen and really had sort of admired her personally. Right. Um, so she, even in her photographs, she has a sort of charisma. Yes. Right. It's yes. hard to define. Um, or you see her, you know, at the Olympics montage walking with James Bond or something. Yes. You get the yes. you get the feeling she's like, oh, kind of a fun person. Yes, she apparently had a sense of humor. Obviously an incredible sense of duty. Yes. Right. Um, in a way that very few people have. I mean, just simply very few people over that many decades. Right. To, in some ways, never have a fully personal life. Right. Um, is something that is not true for most people, even some of the greatest people ever on Earth. Um, there are famously a lot of men who have done amazing, great things for the world and for civil rights who had quite messy personal lives when you take a look at that side of them. Right. Not always, but it happens. I it it reaches the point where one prefers not to look too deeply into the lives of <laughs> yes a lot of, of great people. men right because yeah. because like there's so many of them where you're like I can't you know right she cheated on his wife or divorced five times or you know whatever it is other messy slept around yeah slept yeah. around yeah so yeah uh, yeah yeah um and I think that sort of brings us to kind of the crux of this episode which is that. To be a queen is not just to be a female ruler instead of a male ruler, mm -hmm. right? And honestly, this kind of goes to drag queens as well, right? That there are things inherent in the social construction of that role that are different, mm -hmm. right? It is different to be a queen um, than it is to be a king. And honestly, the first Elizabeth is probably also a good example of that, right? That you... um. The things that you have to do, the extent to which you sort of don't get a personal life, um, a lot of these things are based on the fact that, as a woman, <laughs> you certainly aren't given any leeway when it comes to sex, for example. Um, but really when it comes to anything else, right? There are expectations of what women can and cannot do, which makes it harder to be a monarch, when, of course, the whole point is that you kind of tell people what they're supposed to do. Queen Elizabeth famously didn't do that, right? She sort of never gave orders. That was the point. She never interfered. She never mm -hmm. intervened, right? That yes. that was the point. And that that was famously true even as, right, she becomes queen in, what, 52? Um, and even as a lot of colonies do leave, right, as a lot of the empire does leave because of things like colonialism, that she let them go, um, 
And a lot of that, and that's where that sort of weird sense of admiration comes from a lot of those places, as horrific as the British Empire was, that her personal sense of duty and grace, right, and her just incredible sort of rigor. <laughs> yes. Um, somehow kept everyone in many ways, I think, from kind of hating, suing, doing all sorts of things in, in revenge against England. Um, a lot of things that we might see more of now, because that figure who sort of held it all at bay is gone, right? Um, and so in some ways, she, she much like, I would say, Queen Elizabeth I, took a lot of things that make being a queen incredibly difficult, right? All of the double standards, um, and manipulated it to her advantage, mm-hmm. right? Made it work for her in a way that really held kind of um, all the countries that chose to stay, and even the countries that didn't choose to keep her as head of state, but still stayed in the Commonwealth. She's the one who sort of kept all that together, right? Um, and now I feel like I don't think Charles is going to really be the head of the Commonwealth, right? In as much yeah. as the Commonwealth is just a sort of loose kind of group of countries that mostly used to belong to the Empire, but now are just there for trade. I mean, There's no real yeah. reason that Charles has to be the head of it. Right. I mean, <clears throat> he's been hovering in the background for so long, and I just don't... Yes. I don't feel like I've ever gotten a good sense of his personality other than... Right. He's... Yes, he's there. That's kind of the point. And if you don't... Right. I mean, like, it's appropriate when you're the heir apparent, I guess. Yeah. But also... In order to keep something like that alive, you have to have kind of a personality. Right. And people don't know him in the same way. Yeah. No. And obviously people don't like him in the same way. I mean, that goes without saying. He, maybe, it's hard to know, really. He burned some bridges. Yes. Yes. He has not regained the favor he lost. And that, you know, that's just always going to be true. That's always going to be true. So um, there is something really interesting about what might happen now. Um, but we thought, yeah, we'd take this sort of moment to think about <laughs> um, queens, what it means to be a queen. Um, the fact that Queen Elizabeth II ruled over the largest, geographically, right, the largest empire, arguably, that anyone had ever ruled over. Yes, um, the sun was still not really setting on the British Empire when she took over, even though I yes. think India had already gone... Yes. I mean, technically, like, I guess know, her dad probably... Um, he kicked it off, but it was it was the era, like, post-World War II was when colonialism started to fall apart. Yes. Because, yes. like, that's so when So she get took over... The French yes, lose just Algeria, after a bunch of them. The French yeah. lose Vietnam, and, you know... Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, the British Empire, obviously, was was geographically the biggest... And, um, you know, certainly as queen, she arguably ruled more than, more geographic space than any queen had. Um, yeah, her dad, I don't know, probably then was, was at the height. Um, and then it, and then it all fell apart. And it's still falling apart. I mean, I think now the rest of it will fall apart, as it probably should. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it is worth pointing out also. So, one of these things about queens, as I said, that, um, <laughs> the interesting things about being a queen, um, all the things you're sort of not allowed to do that men are allowed to do that men get away with. Um, so there is sex is one of them. War is kind of the other one, right? Women are not expected to engage in military conflict, not expected to lead it. It doesn't mean they didn't. Famously, many women did in 
you know, throughout history. But yeah, um, Elizabeth got that great speech. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm the first. I may be a weak woman, but I have the heart of an English man yes. in a jar yeah. on my desk. Right. No, she probably <laughs> did. Yes, <laughs> but yes, um, but yeah, Elizabeth the first. So, um, and you know, of course, there are there are queens who did who did fight, um, including some English ones. You know, Margaret. We're counting Bodhisattva. We've seen Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, yeah, but like Margaret, um, you know, she was the one who really led the troops, not her husband. And, you know, didn't exactly lead them, but did so more than her husband, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Henry the Sixth. But there are women who did who did lead their troops. Um, not all of them queens, of course. Joan of Arc, famously, but um, but you know, yeah, there were queens who did lead the troops. So um, Boudicca, right? Um, who is you know a queen? This technically is also British. Yes, I mean, kind Celtic. Of. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. From the island. <laughs> Celtic, though, of course, this is before, this is in the time of the Romans. Yes. So, yeah, this is um, turn of the millennium, we would say. Of the first millennium, CE. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but yeah, she's queen, she leads her troops famously, right? So, um, so you definitely do get queens, including English, British, Celtic queens who do lead their troops. Um, but that, that is one of the things, again, that the sort of, right, to be a queen, you're not expected to do that. And sometimes you are not, it is not wanted that you do that, right? So, um, which means then that queens have to be sort of reliant on men frequently, right? For military tactics and, you know, for, um, all sorts of political games. And so this is one of the things that Elizabeth I, of course, famously did, which was <laughs> not to get married. Um, so to make sure she doesn't have a husband to contend with, and then not to have any sons, any kids, but any sons, right? So you don't have kids you have to contend with. Um, and make sure the men are kind of all scrambling, and if necessary, you know, put them in prison, kill them off, if you have to. Um, if they start getting ideas above their station. Um, yes. It's actually, it's very interesting, the contrast, I guess, between Mary the Mary the First and Elizabeth the First that Mary yes. did get married, Yes. Well, because Mary was never supposed to be queen, yeah. right? So we should... Okay, so let's go back. How are we going to do this? Yeah, we got the acknowledged queens of England. These are the acknowledged queens. So before anyone yells at us, these are the queens of yes. England who are considered by official history, you know, which is generally written down by men, um, to have been crowned queen of England. <laughs> and this also means that we are starting with um, William the Conqueror in this case. So... There are, of course, earlier queens, like Boudicca, right? Um, but if we start with William the Conqueror, the first acknowledged queen, although we're going to talk about a lot of Matildas later in the episode, the first acknowledged queen is Mary, um, who is Mary the first. She is unfortunately also known as Bloody Mary, because she does definitely kill a bunch of people, but <laughs> no more than anyone else really does if they're king or queen. Um more she than Elizabeth the second potentially well depends how you look at it i think right <laughs> i guess right. it's a more personal type of killing. it was more personal sure yeah. she probably killed more english people than elizabeth the yeah. second did yeah although again question mark i don't know how many english soldiers have died in battle anyway <laughs> since elizabeth the second was queen who knows anyway fair, but yes fair enough. in outside of war 
Mary the First did execute a bunch of people, definitely. Um, but the point is, of course, that she was never supposed to be queen. Um, she is the oldest kid, which is the problem, right? right? That her mom, Catherine of Aragon, who's Henry's first wife, Henry VIII, right? His first wife does not give him a son. Um, this is, of course, why Henry leaves the Catholic Church, basically, so that he can divorce his wife and get a new wife and hopefully have a son. Um, so but that's how we get Mary the Church of England. remained Catholic. Mary absolutely so remains Catholic. Awkward. I would say she not only remains Catholic, she, uh, I mean, you know, any kid, if your parents get divorced, you probably have a side. Um, if one of your parents immediately goes off and starts marrying other people to try and have kids to replace you. Yeah. can imagine you'd side with the other parent. It's rough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mary definitely views Henry as having gone, shall we say, in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that she remains Catholic, but is definitely proudly Catholic. And therefore, yes, will eventually kind of take retribution on the country. But um, more to the point, of course, Henry <laughs> marries again. <laughs> Notably, a few yes. times. Yes, but Anne Boleyn, who's amazing, and has an incredible daughter, we can all say, has an incredible daughter. Unfortunately, a daughter, and Henry doesn't want a daughter, so that's the end of Anne. She gets executed. Um, he marries again, of course. This time he finally gets a son. Wife dies in childbirth. <laughs> Which is very unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Um, in all sorts of ways, of course. I mean, but most of all, I mean, I would say most unfortunate, maybe for, for, I mean, obviously for her, for sure, um, but also for the future wives of Henry VIII, right? So yeah, unfortunately, Jane Seymour dies and tragic all around for many, many reasons. And that leaves finally a son for Henry as an heir. Okay. So unfortunately, he does keep marrying people and that's not great. Um, but well, you need a backup. Yeah, he doesn't get one. But uh, anyway, but yeah. So poor Jane. No, uh, we do feel super bad for Jane because that's a horrific, horrific way to go. But also a terrible thing for her, a terrible thing for her kid, but also a terrible thing for the the women who come after her. Um, I guess not all of them, right? But but two of them, two of them who come after her, very terrible. The final wife, of course, famously survives. So um, anyway, so there we are. So that's um this sort of interesting moment because you have the assumption in England that the oldest son will take over. Right. Right. Um, so he does, <laughs> I mean, Edward the sixth does get the throne. He is the third kid, but he takes the throne. Now this is our first unacknowledged queen. And of course, technically Therefore, our first queen. Mm-hmm. Edward was right? very young when he took the throne, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, he's born in 1537, um, in October, I think. And then he is crowned in January of 47. Okay. So he's nine. That seems right. Yeah. Yeah. He's nine. Um, which, of course, is horrific. That's always horrific. Um, as we know, especially if we've seen something like Richard III. Um, <laughs> right? The whole When you have a kid, it's not going to go well. Even in cases where 
like with Henry VI, um, everyone surrounding them is loyal to the baby or the toddler or the kid or whoever Mm -hmm. it is, right? Um, It's still terrible because you just don't tend to get good rulers that way. Or England certainly didn't. England did not tend to get good rulers or good consequences out of kids who became monarchs that young. Right. Um, and so this is this is definitely one of those moments. But um, the problem, of course, here is that not just that he's young, <laughs> but that he dies very quickly. Right? He dies within like five or six years. So, um, and when he dies, he decides to make Jane Grey his heir. Yes. Which, now the pro- question. Wait, mark, there's a few problems. Would you here. do that? No, that's not how primogeniture works. Well, it's not only that. You you kind of can, and you kind of can't. Um, he obviously doesn't have kids. He's way too young. Right. I mean, maybe he technically could have before he died. But anyway, he doesn't. <laughs> so, I mean, he was pretty young. Right. Uh, so, um, but beyond that, um, he never he never reaches the age of maturity. Right? So right. he never gets to sort of fully take over. And that's part of the big problem. Because um, it's not just that he sort of tries to name his own heir. <laughs> um, he's trying, he is smart. He's not, he's not an idiot, right? Henry VIII didn't have idiots for kids. Um, and he does, he is attempting to keep his sister off the throne. Because Mary is Catholic. And so the big problem is, obviously, England has become Protestant, right? We are talking about the Anglican Church, established by Henry, continued by Edward. And if Mary comes in, of course, she's not going to continue that. She's going to switch the country back to Catholicism. She's probably going to execute a lot of people in the process. Um, and it's going to be a big mess, big bloody mess. Um, so he's trying to forestall that. Um, the problem is that, of course... It's it's sort of interesting. Um, he doesn't decide to just try to skip to the next sister. <laughs> he decides right. to take it. Um, he decides to keep it in his line, which is to say the Seymours. So, um, he names his his first cousin, Jane Grey. Yeah, uh, first cousin. Uh, this is one of those removed situations, I think. Um. She's probably like once removed or something, right? So she's a generation. She was also fifteen thirty-seven. So yes, but, but it's just different. like yeah. Anyway, uh, who's who's kid? She's the kid of and yeah. stuff like that. But anyway, royalty. Who so knows? right, <laughs> but that's the that's that's what happens. So um, she's sort of queen for nine days in yes fifteen fifty-three. Didn't go well, right? But that's. Yeah, so Lady Jane Grey, right, he names her as um, as queen in the sort of attempt to keep the country Protestant, right? And um, there, there is something sort of interesting, though, because um, there, there's a lot of question about the extent to which, this is historians and various things, right? For a long time, um, it's not just that, you know, so she kind of rules for nine days. She's deposed. She is not considered officially ever to have been queen, but she's important to mention. That being said, it's also to what extent was she a participant in all of this has always been the question, right? So there, I think originally there was this kind of assumption she was just used by the men around her. Mm-hmm. And 
maybe, but um, there's something a little bit interesting about that. So, um, Jane Jane Grey, Lady Jane Grey's mother, um, I think, had been excluded from succession um, by Henry. Um, like he he was very worried about succession, right? So he basically did reinforce that his kids would succeed him, right? And if that didn't work out, then it would go to the heirs of his younger sister, which included Jane. And um, that's sort of how Edward gets there. The interesting thing is that Edward obviously skips his own sisters. <laughs> um, and so why did he do that? Is Lady Jane Grey just being kind of used by the people around her? Um, I think these days, there's maybe just a little more, um, I don't know, a little more of a willingness, I guess, to acknowledge that maybe um, Lady Jane Grey had some say, <laughs> had a little more agency in what happened, basically, than a lot of people maybe have historically thought. Um, it's hard to know, but it is... It's something we're thinking about, right? It's sort of maybe unfair to her to just think of her as having been kind of used by the men around her. Um, so anyway, um, so she, but she has this interesting lineage because she is, she is part of, she's the very end of the kind of name succession from Henry VIII. Edward gets there by just deciding to skip both his sisters because he doesn't want it to go to Mary, which makes sense. Um, she has been hanging out with the Seymours. Right. Um, so she is not related to Edward in that direction, right? She's first cousin removed, however, right? That's part of the succession from Henry. So she is part of that succession. Um, but she has been hanging out with the Seymours. Um, you know, she's in their household and stuff like that. So there, there are reasons why he might have picked her. It's not like just out of a hat. There are reasons why she might have felt that this was her right or that this was, you know, so it's it's not completely um, impossible that she had more say, had more agency. It's not just as random as it seems, I think, when a lot of people look at this. Mm-hmm. They're just like, how did this even happen? Edward was a dumb kid. Who? What, what even, you know, was he thinking? Where did this come from? And actually, it does kind of come from Henry and Henry's sort of attempt to create a succession that was um, going to forestall any possibility of civil war. And of course you can't do that no matter how hard you try. Um, and it was sort of that plus Edward's attempts to keep, keep England from going Catholic again. Um, which is interesting because to be fair, in some ways to both of them, Henry cared more about a stable succession than about religion. I think we can say that. <laughs> I think we can say that Henry was not as invested in whether England was Catholic or Protestant as he was in the stability of the succession. But Edward, of course, as the next generation, was very invested in the stability of the religion as well as the succession. So in some ways, Jane made a smart choice. You couldn't just skip to Elizabeth, because then why not marry? Right? Lady Jane Grey was part of this succession that Henry had laid out. Why not skip to her? Um, you know, it didn't work, obviously. But in some ways, I think it's unfair to Jane to just view her as a tool. Anyway, so there we are. <laughs> um, the unfortunate thing, of course, is that it did pit Lady Jane Grey against Mary. 
Because Mary swept in and was like, nope, this is mine. And right. she got it and she took it and she kept it. Um, and good for her. I mean, hey, she, you know, why not? Um, she, of course, did did kill a lot of people, switched England back to Catholicism. Uh, this is a thing that people know. This is why she's called Bloody Mary, because England does not remain Catholic. And consequently, Protestants who take over afterwards look at Mary's having been bloody. Um, if Catholics had remained in charge of England, probably Mary would have been looked at as like a just and great ruler who did what she had to do to bring England back to the true religion. Right. Right. I mean... That's how these things happen. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's the difference between terrorists and freedom fighters, right? So Exactly. That is what, I, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that's the whole Lady Jane Grey thing, which is really, um, I think, a lot more interesting than people give it credit for usually. And definitely growing up, I always sort of just thought of her as like this young, you know, airheaded woman who was like used by the men around her. And actually, I don't, I would say I don't know, and historians have started to say as well that that, that is maybe unfair. And it, it wasn't just out of a hat and all the things I just said. So... So I want to give props to her. Obviously, Mary earns her props. You know, she rules. Yes. She definitely rules. Um, she is the queen. She is married, though. Absolutely. Right. To Philip of Spain. Which and is what gets complicated, right? Because when you have two people yes. who are monarchs and they get yes. married. Yep. What happens to your countries? Yeah. There is a that's lot of anxiety the, about that. That's the interesting thing, though, about Mary, because... This is one of the things I really love about Mary. So now now we have moved away from Lady Jane Grey, who, of course, ultimately was only queen for nine days, into Mary. And my, um, this is my personal opinion, not just mine, obviously, but <laughs> as to why Mary was actually in some ways a very, not, you know, a very good queen. And a very good queen in the sense of what Henry VIII thought a monarch needed, which was a stable succession. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the amazing thing about Mary is that, as the first officially recognized Queen of England, right, since William the Conqueror, which she absolutely knows, everyone knows, right, that not only does she get it, which is incredible, first of all, like, there aren't other men around who are like, nope, I'm going to take it. Now, that's partly, you know, they're all distant relations, but also, it's, it is a credit to kind of what Henry built and to what, you know, Edward managed to hang on to, and then what Mary manages to build afterwards. Number two, she does famously imprison her sister Elizabeth in the tower, sort of on and off. But um, she does not execute her. She does not kill her. She does not get her out of the way. Presumably, there's only one reason that Mary keeps Elizabeth around. It's to be an heir? Yes. And that is the knowledge. And this is where Mary gets one up on Edward. <laughs> and of course, Mary herself, if she didn't already know the lesson, learned it. Because of what she did to Edward and Lady Jane Grey. Not to Edward so much, but to Lady Jane Grey, right? Edward's plans were derailed by Mary. And what it taught Mary was that ultimately, the what, what Henry VIII knew, which was that the stability of the succession is what matters overall. That is the thing that really matters. Mm -hmm. Yes, you might be Catholic and you might really want England to be Catholic. Or you might be Protestant in the case of Edward and you really wanted it to remain Protestant. But ultimately, it is the stability of the succession that matters. Right. And Mary clearly knows that. So in spite of the fact that she knows perfectly well that if Elizabeth is her heir, England is going to go back to being Protestant. If that's what happens, then that's what happens to keep England stable. And that's really incredible. So when we're talking about people doing their duty on a level that men as monarchs weren't necessarily expected to do, 
Um, Mary really should get a lot here, I think, because she could have really messed it up if she'd wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, she, I would say, did not want her husband to be king. Right. And that's just a sort of fit, right? She was queen. Yes, she's married to Philip, and he definitely views himself as having a right to England. And he's going to fight Elizabeth for it, (laughs) right? But um, Mary does not see him as her heir. She sees Elizabeth as her heir, ultimately. Even though that means giving England back to the Protestants. And that's really incredible. And I do not think she gets the credit for that. Um, Because there's something truly kind of remarkable about that fact. Um, And what it says about her as a queen, that ultimately that was more important. Right. Um, And she's right, of course, it was. Um, And Henry VIII should have had more faith in his daughters because... (laughs) Yeah, can you imagine? um, Yeah. Because ultimately, of course, when Mary dies, England will get another queen. Um, Which does not happen a lot. It's worth pointing out, right? One queen after another, literally, right? So we get Elizabeth I, who, of course, gives her name to the age. It's the Elizabethan age. Um... And will be queen for for a long time. We get the stability of the country. Um, she fends off Philip. Absolutely. So Spain, you know, she fends off Spain. She's pretty amazing overall. It's a great time. She's incredible. Yeah, she's incredible. And, it, yeah, in so many ways, right? All of the things she does, all of the things she manages. And that, of course, what it means, though, what she has learned from watching all of her siblings and her father and her mother and everybody else, right? What happened to everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, what happened, of course, also to Mary's mother? I mean, she watched all, all of her dad's wives. I mean, so um, knowing the stories, growing up with the stories, watching the stuff that she remembered herself, she learned a lot of lessons. One of them was that as a woman, she just should get married. <laughs> she shouldn't have kids, <laughs> right? Just take all of that off the table. You don't have people fighting with you. You don't have heirs to fight. Just take it all off the table. You are the queen, and that's it. Um, she knows perfectly well that the most obvious heir for her is going to be James in Scotland. Um, James, of course, whose mom she has imprisoned and ultimately executes, Mary Queen of Scots. They never did meet, as far as we know, although there are some famous plays and movies and such that portray them meeting. Mm. Um, okay. And most of the... I mean, to be fair, it's Schiller's play, and then most of the movies and stuff, I think, are based on that play. Um, as far as we know, they never did actually meet in person. Um, but but it is worth pointing out that, of course, Mary, Queen of Scots, was Catholic, but her son, who never really knew her, James, is raised Protestant specifically on the assumption that he will become the heir to Elizabeth. And he does. If he is Protestant. Yes. And he does. And he is Protestant. And there we go. So it all works. Yeah. Um, and he also loves theater. And therefore Shakespeare gets to continue doing his thing. He also which is really, really what loves matters. Uh, hunting witches. Yes. Which is why Macbeth. Yes. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those interesting things, right? Uh, Shakespeare... Was, That was perfect timing. Perfect timing for Shakespeare, because Queen Elizabeth stands behind the freedom of the theater in ways that are kind of extraordinary, right? Um, They don't get in trouble for Richard II, even though they absolutely could have. They're not even told they can't do it anymore as a play. (laughs) So she she stands behind freedom of expression, for for Shakespeare at least. Um, And and so does James. So 
good stuff there. Okay. Um, but a really interesting reminder of the ways in which queens have really shaped England in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, and in ways that, obviously, Elizabeth I is queen at the beginning of their empire. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of those interesting reminders also that colonialism is usually itself seen as masculine. Because land, earth, right? The earth is seen as feminine. Land is seen as feminine. And men, you know, divide it up and conquer it. It's very much like male sexual exploits, right? Um, and so there's a kind of weird sense in which, despite the way that that is usually thought of, um, Queen Elizabeth I is queen at the beginning of the British Empire. <laughs> queen Victoria, of course, is kind of queen at what we always think of as the height of the empire. Yeah. And then Elizabeth II at arguably the end of the empire. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the one, and I think she will probably turn out to be the figure that was holding it all together at the end, I think, over the next however many years. We will watch it fall apart under Charles, whatever was left. So um, it's something, there's this interesting fact, right, the ways in which it is kind of measured, the British Empire, this very sort of masculine, um, we talked in class the other day, actually, when I said, you know, the US symbol Uncle Sam, does anyone know who the British symbol is? <laughs> Um, which is John Bull. And um, really? there's this very right... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the sort of masculine sense of what that is, mm-hmm. right? And so why um, why women actually, why, why queens have actually turned out to be kind of the the narrative arc in many ways of the, of the British Empire. Um, all right. So that's... Those are some of the... Those are the 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 most famous acknowledged yeah. queens, right? We have so mentioned we get already. Elizabeth, hmm? James takes over. We get James the first, Charles the first. Cromwell Revolution. interrupts us. Yeah, two Cromwells. Charles the second because we get him restored to the, the restoration yeah, the famously. Restoration. Yes. James the yes. second. Um, and then yeah, and then we get the glorious James revolution. This is a disaster. I mean, yes, he is deposed <laughs> in the Glorious Revolution, also the Bloodless Revolution. Right. Yeah, in it's, 1688. It's glorious because they looked at, um, you know, Holland? Netherlands? Yeah, they basically just and called up like, hey, Mary. Would you like to come and invade us? Well, but here's the funny thing, right? So they actually were still in the line of succession, right? Yeah. James's daughter, James II's daughter, Mary is married to William of Orange. Yeah. Yes. And he is William III. That is why uh, I think carrots today are orange. <laughs> they were bred to be orange. They came in all colors. You can still get rainbow carrots. And then they bred yeah, them yeah. to be orange as a tribute to the House of Orange. Well, that would be amazing. I believe this is true. I hope that's true. <laughs> that's fantastic. Let's believe it. Let's pretend. I love it. it. Um, but yeah, so... Basically, William and Mary are invited back um, to be, and this is the really interesting thing, right? To be William and Mary, to reign together. Yes. Which is fascinating. Yes. And that's really, really interesting because in some ways, right, England has moved from a country that wouldn't have a queen to a country that kind of wants to have a queen. Yeah, like we're not 100% (laughs) comfortable having another king right away. Yeah. And also because Mary, of course, is is the daughter. Yeah. So, but that William can also be king, but like it should be William and Mary, which of course it is. And here I am in Richmond, which is what, 50 minutes from 
the college. The school. Yeah. <laughs> William and Mary. Yeah. Um, so. So after they die, Succession does something really weird, too. Right? Yeah. Well, so we have, that's technically Mary the second, of course, Mm -hmm. right? We already have Mary, and William the third. Um, and she dies first. So then he's on his own. And then when he dies, yeah, it goes to Mary's younger sister. Yes. So another daughter of James the (laughs) second. This is not at all how primogeniture is supposed to work. No, because, but, you know, the women, you'll notice how the women don't have kids. Yes. Right? Which is interesting because, in spite of Henry VIII being like, you have to have a kid, the queens, obviously, we're about to break that trend, but <laughs> right. before we get to Victoria, um, that the queens sort of like, you can deal with a husband maybe, but then maybe not with kids, right? That it makes it all sort of, now, not to say that they wouldn't have had kids, well, that at least Mary wouldn't have had mm-hmm. kids if she could have or. Whatever. Well, Anne, but, um, Anne certainly had a, a number of miscarriages, I think. So Anne had a lot yeah. of kids; none of them survived. Yeah. So, um, the but that's the thing, right? So then you have this really interesting moment of what happens if if they don't have kids. You don't want a repeat of all that the horrible civil wars you went through in the past. Yeah. Right. Um, and Mary and William worked out great. So why not just go down a sister? Mm-hmm. Anne's still around. Bring her in, which they do. Yeah. Um, ultimately, Anne does not live a super long time, but, um, because she's a good, you know, interim sort of queen, Mm -hmm. that's not fair. She's not just an interim queen, but, um, she comes in, she is queen, and, um, and when I say she doesn't live a long time, of course, I just mean, like, after William dies, like, as queen. Like, I don't mean... She dies in 1707, so she... For like she five became years. queen in 1702. Yeah. So so um so basically um then what happens is they have to look around for another relative. <laughs> was, and so they get they wind up with the the son the, the of George's, Sophie yeah. Right, Sophie of Hanover. Yep. So they Sophie bring George the 1st yes. and he was very German and then George the 2nd and his wife are more popular. Caroline. Yeah. So we should say... Um, Side note, if you really want to read about all of this in depth, um, Neil Stevenson wrote this three-volume, like, 2,400-probably-page uh, book called The Baroque Cycle about yes. this entire period, um, yes. starting with Cromwell and ending with um, the death of Anne, basically. Yes. So, yeah, good times. But we're back, we're back to, um, let's see, Sophie of Hanover, who's the yeah, she was, mom of she George. She was so cool, by the way. Yes. She's a personal friend of Leibniz, among others. Yeah. Like A lot of these women are super amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's 100%, yeah. But, um, so worth pointing out, though, that um, we are, they are descendants of James, the sure. original James the sixth and first. That's George. <laughs> Yes. 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 Which is yeah. why when George the Fourth, as we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast, George the Fourth goes to Scotland, they tell the Scottish that he's also a Stuart. Yes. 
Yeah, There's because he was sort of. Kind of. Um, yeah. I mean, he is descended from them. Yeah. Absolutely. But through the female line, which means, you know, he's a Hanover, not really a Stuart, and is considered the last Stuart monarch. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because women then tend to... This is the problem, of course, if you're a queen and you get married, right? Women tend to take over... Um, their husband's title, and even if they don't, yeah. then their kids will get their husband's title, not their mom's title. Right. Usually. Um, there are exceptions to that, but, um, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so, so, for example, the House of Hanover, Sophie. But, yeah. Um, anyway, so we fast forward through a bunch of Georges. Very boring. Yes. Nothing interesting happened during that period of history, and eventually we get to... Yes, we get to Queen Victoria. Victoria. Who we've all been waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is another case, of course, of, um, a queen who, this is actually a little bit like Jane Grey in some ways, right? Except she gets it because she's kind of the only one left. Um, there's not really anyone left to take, to take it. Right. <laughs> Basically. Right. Her, so her uncle was the king, I think. Right. Yeah. And so she, he dies and she becomes yes. queen. Yeah. Um, her the father. Yeah. Her father was the fourth son of George the Third, Victoria's father. George the Third had like seventeen children. It he was, had a lot of kids, and almost none of them married because he and his wife were—I'm going to say a little weird. He was—I mean, George the Third was a weird guy. That seems fair. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? She gets the throne because all of her father's. So her father. Yeah, is the fourth son of George III. The older brothers um, die without kids. Right. Right. Because if obviously if you're the fourth kid down, it's not just, you're not just fourth in line. The kids of all of the previous siblings, especially if those siblings are brothers, the kid, all their kids are in yeah. line before you. <laughs> this is why Prince Harry is like fourth or fifth in line to the throne because all of William's children come first. Yes, and then of course when they have kids, he'll move even further down. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yes, exactly. So that's that's what happens. So <laughs> So Victoria, um, on the other hand, has like 37 children. Yeah. Or nine. But which is still I do want to say there's something really fascinating um Right. The thing about, so George III is succeeded by his son, George IV. The problem is that he only has one legitimate kid, Princess Charlotte, who dies before him. Yeah. So that's why his younger brother, so now the second kid, I believe, um, of George III takes over. No, he's the third kid of George III. So the the oldest, George IV, his only kid dies when he dies, the third brother takes over. The second one has already died. The third brother takes over and becomes William the fourth. And that is why when he dies, the fourth brother has already died, but his kid, who is Victoria, <laughs> takes over. Yeah. Um, but that is, that is an, like, that's a crazy, um, line of succession because of all, all the people who sort of died or didn't have kids. Yeah. So that's how she gets it. Um, she then, yeah, has enough kids to basically people all of Europe's monarchies. Yes. Um, actually true. And if thus you, hemophilia. If you look, <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as being Habsburg, but it's pretty bad. So Yeah, everyone's related. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's basically it. Everyone's related. The glamour <laughs> of the monarchy. Of... Yes. Um, yeah, everyone's everyone's related. But Victoria becomes a big name. Um, another yes. era, I guess. Yes, another era. And famously famous. Yes. Yeah. The probably the most storied for us, right? Is it's like Sherlock Holmes and fr- you know all of these great stories. Yeah. That well, she reigns over. Not just the era, of course, which is mm-hmm. a huge thing, but um, she reigns over the, yeah, sort of the height of the empire, but all of these changes, right? We are getting um, the rise of the modern world, modern mm-hmm. capitalism and industrialism, right? All of these things, the rise of the U.S. Right. as a political power. <laughs> I mean, so she's born. She's born in 1819, which is what, like, four years after Napoleon was dethroned. Something and like that. Yeah. By the time she dies, there are cars. Yeah, in ni- 1901, right? Yeah. She dies. Yeah. So we're a few years away from like the, the first airplane. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So yes, um, it's it is incredible. Um, and yeah, it's, it is absolutely right. The rise of the U.S. as a power. Um, also, not just the rise of the U.S. as a power, but, um, we go from, of course, being an enemy of England. <laughs> right? To being We've, a special friend. To being a special friend. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all of that happens. And there is something really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the literature, all the stuff. Yes, I mean, France this is when we through, say period. <laughs> oh, France goes through, like, three constitutions in that time. Yes, like, absolutely. Um, but when we say, like, period dress or something, period dress can mean anything, right? right. But we all, but when we say it without any explanation of the era, we probably mean Victorian. Oh, yeah. Right? Corsets That's just, and bustles and the whole yep. nine yards. Yes, cravat default. Yeah. You want a cravat, you're going to get a cravat. And even things that weren't, that don't take place in this era are frequently produced with costumes of this era. Like Frankenstein. These are the costumes of it. Yeah. And obviously we, I mean, the Victorian era changes so much. If it's, it could be early Victorian or late Victorian, you get a whole range of stuff, right? So it's not like there's one Victorian that, which is another great thing. Right. Um, but it's, it's sort of our Mm go-to. Yeah. Um, so, Vic- so there is, oh, yeah, this, no, just this, this incredible sort of sensibility of what, what that means, um, to be a queen in some ways, right? A modern queen. Um, she's also a constitutional monarch. Mm-hmm. So, um, unlike Mary and Elizabeth the first, Mary the first, Elizabeth the first, um, who were, who were monarchs. I mean, you still have to get along with the nobles, but, you're still kind of in charge, right? There's a difference. Um, not entirely. I think people do overrate just how, <laughs> you know, you can just go around chopping people's heads off, really, just because. <laughs> but um, but obviously that as we move through time, right? As we get to, like, William and Mary, as we get to Anne, we're moving towards the sort of um, power sharing, right, between the monarchy and parliament. By the time we get to Victoria, we get the constitutional monarchy. Um, and, of course, by the time we get to Elizabeth II... She does not have any real power, political power in that sense. Um, and she made sure never to try and use it. <laughs> yes. So all of her power, all of Elizabeth II's power came from who she was. Clout, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I have heard that she may, like, she would have known maybe some classified stuff. And so she could have had 
Yeah, yeah. That kind of power. She of knew it. Knowing th- they, things. They had to tell her stuff, right? There, you inform the queen yeah. of this. You inform the queen of that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, she didn't. She can't. You know, the queen can't have Boris Johnson imprisoned or you know, right? The stocks. Yes. Sent, whatever. Sorry. Yeah, and she steadfastly not did not <laughs> yeah. do any of that. Yeah. Um, which is, of course, why she managed to maintain the figure that she maintained, right? The sort of figure of unity who inspired loyalty because she didn't take sides and she sort of knew she couldn't. Mm-hmm. And the few times she was sort of seen as maybe going in one direction or another, she would start to lose popularity. Um, yeah. Which is a sort of fascinating reminder. Again, also something that's also true of Queens, right? You're sort of and women in general, but <laughs> you're not supposed to have opinions. People want, don't want to know your opinion. Um, there was a, an article back in the, you know, 2016 election time that when women run for office, they get lower approval polls. When they're in office, if they manage to win, they can sometimes get very high approval polls. Mm-hmm. But then when they run for office again, the approval polls go down. Mm-hmm. Because somehow the idea of a woman, even if you, even if you agree that this woman is good at her job, when she has to run for it again, the fact that she has to ask you for the job, right, and sort of give you her opinions, right. people don't like that. Yeah, like, it's weird to remember that back when um, suffragettes started, which was during the, you know, Vic- yep. Victorian era. Speaking it was of Victoria, yes. proper for a woman to do public speaking and stuff like that, yep. you know, like. Yeah. And we think of ourselves as being very over these types of attitudes, but in some ways, like, we kind of are not. We are not. Not at all. Nope. Nope, nope. And so, yeah, that means sort of the flip side, of course, that you have these female figures as this very sort of, instead of paternal, instead of paternalistic, with a P, right? Um, You have maternalistic, which is a different problem when it comes to things like colonialism. It's a very similar, but still different issue. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it it does mean there's a potentially kind of like covering, right? Um, Or giving legitimacy to these things because you sort of present this kind of motherly figure. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is also a weird reminder that in some ways women aren't... I think there's also a weird sense, even as people acknowledge the sort of dreadful colonialism of the British era, and that's the whole like era of the British Empire. So we're going back like to Victoria, even back, you know, to Queen Elizabeth the first, um, that there's a sense sort of not to blame the women so much as the men who worked for them, mm-hmm. which is a very weird way that people <laughs> right. can twist this kind of stuff. Right. Um, that's and there's something like, strange about that. That somehow like, you know, Victoria was the Empress of India and she, yeah. She benefited from that. Like, she received Absolutely. whatever, the Kohinoor diamond, which is still part All of the of royal jewels. She Famously, had yes. she had um, servants who yeah. came and taught her Urdu, among yep. other things. And yeah. yet that she would somehow have been unable to do more to, I don't know, like, correct the situation there because she was a woman and not... You know, right. not able to give right. that kind of orders. Right. And Or, you know, like, that maybe this feeling that somehow they had only told her the good things, I don't, you know. 
Yeah. And that that is definitely a sort of, not just a misapprehension, but right. um, it is <laughs> clearly incorrect on so yes. many levels. Um, but also a weird, the weird way in which sexism and colonialism intersect that, also, you know, it's not that women were able to do these things in ways that men wouldn't have, of course, but that the violence is read differently somehow under women, mm-hmm. right? So, yes, it becomes a sort of thing like, well, the British troops committed this massacre, but, um, you know, that was certainly the fault of the generals and, you know, the queen would never do something like that um, and probably didn't know about it. Or um, as though the queen doesn't – a queen, mm-hmm. whether Victoria or Elizabeth, right, as though they – somehow don't understand that they are benefiting purely on an economic level, even, right, forget the forget the specific massacres and forget the specific jewels, right, that on a basic economic level, just like slavery in the US, right, that there is untold amounts of money leaving these countries and yes. going into English Everything coffers in the English economy. Flows back to the metropole. Yes. And like, so yeah. it's, and it's very interesting, in fact... Um, that, so Victoria, right, had so many children and people, she was very popular because of that. Like the people loved having this maternal figure and young children in the, in the palace and she hated being pregnant. I don't think she was that keen on actually raising her children. Like Albert did a lot of the, of that stuff. Yeah. So it's actually also sort of a weird I don't want to say modern relationship in a in a way because but it's mm-hmm. like definitely not the Victorian model of what I guess we would call the like the upper middle class relationship where the woman takes care of the children and she's very sheltered within the home and the man goes out and does everything like that at the top right. of Victorian society they had this model that was almost completely different Yes. Except that they did have children, so everybody could pretend that it was basically the same, right? Yes, it was perceived to be all of those sort of heteronormative things, even though, of course, that's not the way it worked. Absolutely. And even more so, right, Albert dies, and she is then ostensibly in mourning for, I mean, not that she wasn't, I'm willing to say she was, but she is ostensibly chased and in mourning (laughs) for the rest of her life. Right. Which is maybe not as 100% true as et cetera. It's interesting because there have been several movies in the last yes, My Life That posit that she was. That, yes. With various people. And it's never the yeah. same. Per- like, it's different people. Like, that yeah. maybe she had multiple sort of paramours. Affairs. Yeah. yeah. Well, Elizabeth I certainly slept around and managed not to get pregnant. Well um, done. <laughs> yeah. But, and Victoria, presumably as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, um, but that that was the perception, right? And so that her, that perception of her then as continually in mourning, right? It does set up that, the idea that the woman, right? Even the queen would somehow, um, be unable to move on from the death of her husband, mm-hmm. right? That he was really the important one and et cetera, et cetera. Which, of course, he was important to her, but he was not. And not that he wasn't important in certain ways. He did good things. He wanted to help social justice, stuff like that. Yes. But when it comes to the empire, she was definitely the one who was important. Right. right. Um, and so, yes, but it, it feeds into that myth. And so, um, and also into that perception of her as that type of woman. And therefore not the sort of woman who would oppress a foreign country or, you know, um, 
economically deprive it for the benefit of her own country or things like that, right? Um, and it's it's the sort of continual reminder uh, recently, right? So not just with Victoria, but Queen Elizabeth um, II, uh, all of the, you know, all of the history that's come out. I mean, not come out, but all of the, the rehashing of all of her history, right? That everyone as, is doing. <laughs> as everyone discovers suddenly that the Irish are still really bitter Oh, well, about that. Yes. everything. There's some, yes. Yeah. Irish Twitter was having, having some stuff, which as it should, as it totally deserves to, not just Irish Twitter, plenty of Twitter communities were, you know, making hay while the sun shines, etc. Um, but the, all the sort of reminders, right, of sort of, um, you know, she was on a tour, right? She was in Kenya, I think, when she found out her yeah, father had died. She was in Africa. Yeah. And so even something like that, right, that um, the the extent to which the colonies figure in in her the history of her reign, right? Mm-hmm. And um, many of them have since left, but even so, right, that that reminder that sort of came full circle when William and Kate were going on their own tour, just this past year, right? Um, oh, I thought you were going to say the time that they were on their honeymoon tour, I think, and they went to hmm. one of the Pacific Islands and, like, a bunch of the natives carried them on, like, a palaquin and then... Oh, frick! Yeah. Really? Oh, my God. Wow! <laughs> Crap! Oh, no. no. I didn't... Nope. Um, I mean, I do not follow them, to be fair, so I yeah. did not see that. No, sorry. No, not I as was... bad as the time Harry... <laughs> not as bad as the time Harry Oh, was he was in blackface, In, yeah. like, a Nazi uniform. As but Nazi, I was going to yeah. say he may well, have he, learned from that experience. I he learned a lesson. He definitely learned a lesson. I don't lesson. know about Will, yeah. Wills and yes. Kate, if they have... Well, the funny thing, yes, that Harry's the one who made the public mistake and seems to have learned a lesson... William is too smart to make a public mistake like that, but it's not clear he learned the lesson. But more specifically, no, this is the recent tour that they went on that in some ways was very much like the one that Queen Elizabeth was on when she became queen. Uh, and I believe, you know, they, as William and Kate were headed around sort of the Caribbean, um, being that the Caribbean is what the Commonwealth still has. Most of Africa, of course, has become independent. Um, they were met with protests in a lot of places, uh, and in some places had to cancel. I think this was Jamaica. There was a bunch of stuff they wow. had to cancel because of the protests. Um, and Barbados, I think, had already said that they were leaving. So did they not go there? Anyway, but there was a bunch of that stuff, right? They were traveling around. And I don't know if it was just to countries that are part of the Commonwealth or also countries that, I mean, because if they're, if they're in somewhere like Jamaica, that must have been for, you know, um, just one head of state meeting another head of state or something, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, but that there were protests as they as they went around their sort of Caribbean tour, as as um, you know, representatives of the Queen, I suppose, as a head of state. Um, yeah, so there there were cancellations, there were signs, you know, for reparations, all of this stuff. And it was a, it was a very clear sign even then, right? That everyone sort of knew, I would say once, once Philip died, everyone kind of knew the queen probably 
was not going to live a whole lot longer. I mean, she was 95 at the time. She was. So. But I think also, we sort of talked about, right? It's the spousal yeah. the thing, right? That you, you met, And she depended on him for her whole life, basically, right? That So that had to be a thing. Um, and so that it, you could already tell it was kind of slipping away. Um, and that the colonies themselves, right? The colonies or even former colonies, right? That that were being visited felt like all of that was slipping away. Um, and it should be, right? And that this was now their chance, now that the queen was sort of starting to be out of the picture, that maybe out of a kind of weird respect to her as a person, which is just strange, right? It's that inability, yeah, the queen is dead, long live the king, that inability to separate kind of the person from their office, that the sort of person she was, you respect her, but that you do not respect the office and you wish to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you have gotten rid of it, but you want reparations. You want to sue the crown for what they did to you, right? Um, and so that this was sort of the chance, right? Now that it's William and Kate and not the queen, you don't feel the f- same way towards them that you did towards the queen. So you feel free to to do all this, right? To have protests to demand reparations to do these things. Um, to tell him, you know, to tell him to his face <laughs> during a photo op that you're going to leave, by the oh way. Oh, my God. I mean, right? like, they're cute, but they're politicians, so make them do politics. I mean, this is... Yeah. I don't want to be like, this is what you signed up for, because obviously William just had the misfortune of being born in a specific position. He did not sign up for this, but... Well, but he did, because he's, he's still there, the one who's right? doing it, right. That's the difference. Yeah. I mean, Harry left. Right. Good for him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's a, but it is this weird sensibility that, um, you know, things have changed. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, this was just, this was last, this was spring of 2022. I believe. So when they were on this tour. I keep um, forgetting it's September. It, I was like, it's still spring. I know. Uh. I know. <laughs> no, okay. but it was spring. But yeah, but that okay. sort of reminder of, um, yeah, that they, because now they are supposed to be doing what Charles had been doing, right? Um, and that it's, things didn't always go super well for <laughs> Charles, but at least his mom, right? People still respected his mom. Yeah. Now that's gone, you know, it's not just things might not go super well for yeah. Charles, but for his kids representing him out in the world, they don't have the respect for him that they had for her. Right. So there is that sort of crumbling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we'll find out how he does. Like, he's had a really long mm-hmm. training process. Yeah. Maybe ready to stand on his own two feet on this mm-hmm. one. When it comes also to succession, by the way, we should point out that the queen, Elizabeth, the second, um, made a very specific gesture, which is which ensure that Camilla would be Charles's queen. Um, which is interesting, because of course, really, they should have just let him marry her in the first place. But initially, anyhow. right, initially, she was going to be like, princess consort or something. And or then whatever. they've moved yeah. to her being queen consort, which yes. is fine, whatever, which is fine. Um, she, I mean, you know, she seems fine. Yeah, well, and Charles has been loyal to her as far as we know, yeah. right? I mean, he was sort of always loyal to her. That was the problem. But After um, his fashion. Yes. Um. <laughs> but, well, but that's sort of the problem, right? That learning duty versus whatever, right? And so... Um, this is a whole he, nother level of expectation of how male royals behave. 
Yes. Which is yes. not chastely before. No, but he still did not really get away with this one. Right. And there, people have kind of come around on Camilla, but also not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it, not because of her. I think, I think in some ways people have come around on her. But there is still kind of this weird depth of the sense of betrayal because Diana was beloved. Right. Right. And so sort of what that means. Um, but again, it's that sense of well, I think that nowadays- what England wants out of its monarchs. Yeah. It's weird to think that you'll have, that there might have been a queen. This is true, of course, for Queen Elizabeth as well, the first. And for Victoria, that there have actually been female rulers in England's history who were so extraordinary that the men who came after them could never live up. Mm-hmm. And in fact, sometimes not great things did eventually happen to those men. So like James is okay, but his kids aren't. Right. Right. Um, and Victoria's kids have some issues. <laughs> yeah. Right? And certainly uh, the, the kids' kids, right? I mean, a couple of world wars. Not their fault, but difficult to navigate yeah. through. But, you know, her descendants do have some issues. I mean, we have an Edward who abdicates, mm-hmm. of course, famously. So, and also is a Nazi, but anyway. Um, not, well, Nazi sympathizer, we should say. Um, but, yeah, so there is that sort of interesting sense. So it might be something we're about to watch happen again. Um, of course, what we should really end this episode by pointing out is that, um, first of all, we're going to have a whole episode on the Matildas next time. Um, and secondly, that um, for all this talk about England and all of their queens and the problems with being a queen and also, you know, <laughs> just being a woman in society, um, we live in a country that, despite having managed to get rid of the monarchy, has not managed to elect a female president. So we're getting closer. Question are mark. We? I, I mean, don't know. I mean, female <laughs> vice president. Yes, yes, but that is not the same. No. So you know, we have several female senators. <laughs> Women yes. are allowed to hold many jobs in society nowadays. I know. Yes, there are a hundred senators, and how many of them are women? So I mean, um, we could probably even name them all. <laughs> Yes, we could. That's the problem. Oh, um, God. Yeah, okay. So, obviously, so, right, yeah. like, you grow up, and whatever post-feminism that was popular in the late 90s slash early 2000s was a lie. We're not in a post-feminist society. The work is not done. <laughs> we have to keep moving forward. Vote Democrat, guys. Get out the vote. Yes, midterms. Oh, my gosh. Okay. They probably will have happened by the time we post this. But- I don't I could... I'll fast track it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah, so. But Queens. Queens. England has had some good ones. They've been really influential. Um, they didn't necessarily always do good things. They did kind of bookend and oversee the empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, despite, as I said, the sort of way we think of colonialism is very sort of toxic masculinity, there are a lot of really things. Really interesting things that have been written, but a lot more needs to be written about the influence of the queens on the British Empire. Because, um, arguably the queens were some of the most famous <laughs> rulers during that time. Um, and so it's, it's a very interesting sort of question to think about how queenship may have affected it. Um, in ways that kingship, you know, may not have. Yeah. And also, why can't we elect a female president? 
Do yeah. you have to be... Because, you know, yeah, you had to be born into it originally, Mary, Elizabeth I. But, I mean, William and Mary, they asked her. And then Anne. Yeah. So they weren't exactly born into it. Right. Victoria well, was kind of the only person left, but even then... It's worth pointing out that as progressive as this all sounds, looking at the descent of queens, the majority of British titles don't work like this. Like, if you are a duke and right. you only have daughters, unless you were... Oh, God. Um, that one guy who fought at Waterloo. Uh, anyway, all other oh, yeah. British dukedoms descend through the male line... And if yes. you only have daughters, you're out of luck and the title goes into abeyance. Like, some of the lower titles... Or to a distant relative. Yeah. Or... No, so, like, that's um, how it works, right? Is, like, if you you get to be the older brother and you have the title and your sons get the title, and then if you don't have any sons, it would go to your younger brother if you have one, or to a cousin mm -hmm. or whatever. And it doesn't... Yeah, but Wellington through, is different? Yeah, Wellington only had daughters and there's an act of parliament so that his to daughter... To allow couldn't. him to keep it. Yeah, yes. that's how you change it. Yes. And you like some beat of Napoleon. The, a few <laughs> right, you gotta be that important. And like yeah. a few of the lower titles, like baronets can maybe inherit through women or yeah. um And women can get their own titles now. We yeah, should sometimes earls will have you know, that sort of thing where you can be yeah. an earl you can inherit the earldom as a woman. Yeah. But yeah. like it's very not yeah. progressive and it does take an act of parliament to change it. Yeah. Although, historically, back to history again, we should point out that while this has always kind of been true, women have frequently inherited the titles because that's all who was left. And they yes. weren't going to just get rid of it. So, yes, England, I'm not saying in any sense that England is somehow a more feminist country, but they have had, you know, they have tried to make men whatever, but still women get up, get up there. Um, also, of course, um, in addition to the weirdness of... Titles being inherited, um, adopted kids cannot inherit a title. Yes, which is what Jamie. Which Lee is why Curtis Jamie Lee Curtis. Is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Okay. Will not get to inherit the title. It will go to Christopher Guest's younger brother's kids. Yeah. Yes. I mean, ta-da! You know what? You don't want to be a lord. It's not that cool. No. I mean, you know, Lord and Lady Hayden Guest do live over here and not over there, right? I mean, like, when you say you want to be part of the nobility, what you really want is, like, to go to swanky parties and have somebody drive you in a fancy car and stuff like that, right? Right. Like, right. you don't want any of the responsibility that goes along with actually running a dukedom and, like, having to right. somehow maintain an estate to employ all of these people. Anyway. Right. So. <laughs> sorry, yes. guys. I've been reading a lot of romance novels, and there's a lot of baggage that goes along with historical romance. Okay. There is. <laughs> this is only a small part of it, and the rest is yep. colonialism. Um, yes. So, we're going to call it there, because this is getting to be quite long. Yep. Um, so, but this was great, and we'll next talk time, about Matildas. all of the different Matildas next time. Yeah. There's so many Matildas. Significant number. <laughs> like, statistically yes. significant. Um, until next time, uh, everybody can Facebook with us or Twitter with us. Oh, excuse me. Find us on Twitter. Look for Ask a Medievalist. And our website is www.askamedievalist.com. And just keep washing your hands and keep it medieval and liberty, egalite, fraternite. Right? All right. <laughs>
Yes, Bye. sorority. Sorority, yes. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 